Welcome everyone to Flyover Footy. My name is Matt Baker here with another Flyover Fallout. I'm here with Santiago Beltran again, and it seems like we picked a pretty good time to start doing two shows a week because we're now in the thick of things where we're coming off of a tie a tie game against the Rapids. We're coming off or coming into rather the U.S. Open Cup, our third round matchup against Union Omaha. And we have a, a game next weekend against the Portland Timbers at home. So we've got a lot of things going on. And we're going to use this time to break down the Rapids match and look ahead to the U.S. Open Cup. So where we thought we were going to do just a nice short second show, we're already in trouble and needing to do a preview as well. Like I said, I'm here with Santiago Beltran. Santi, how are you? Doing great, Matt. Um, double double down on soccer this week. Uh, U.S. Open Cup and then Portland Timbers coming on Saturday. So that's it's great. nonstop, isn't it? Yeah. All right, well, we'll start it off and we'll get going pretty quick. We've got a lot to cover. Let's look back at the Colorado Rapids match first, and we'll get into the U.S. Open Cup here in the second half of the show. First is Colorado. So we started off with another 4-4-2 formation against the Colorado Rapids. We ran out Roman Berkey, John Nelson, Kyle Hebert, Tim Parker, and Jake Nerwinski with Edward Leuven and Akil Watts in the midfield. Jared Stroud, Rasmus Alm, our wide mids, and Jean Klaus and Nico Joachini, our strikers. This, of course, is the ninth overall new starting 11 that we had as far as personnel goes. It, it had the 4-4-2, but it was noteworthy because it was Akil Watts' first ever MLS start. And after watching him last year at City 2, I wasn't. I, I can't say how excited I am to see Akil Watts get this opportunity. Santi, what did you think when you saw Akil Watts was in the lineup? I was excited too because Carnell said in the press conference he he mentioned about Akil Watts scoring a goal uh, from outside the box against Colorado Rapids too, which was actually Colorado Rapids if we look at their lineup. So I was yep. like, oh wow, uh, maybe he will score one of those again. But yeah, it was exciting to see him uh, making the starting lineup. Carnell also post game explained that um, the part of having a kill watts a star and then indiana basilep coming on the second half was to have both of them available for tomorrow's game against union omaha and that was the the most unique aspect of it so it it had the sentimental value of Akil watts having that that golasso last year outside the box against the rapids first team essentially and it also had the tactical of Indiana Vasilev, Akil Watts getting 45 minutes each playing into the U.S. Open Cup. So there was a lot going on and noteworthy that those were the only two who have been named as having those prescriptive moments uh, with the U.S. Open Cup in mind, even though we know that there's a lot in play that we'll get to for that match. But I think both of those players played some pretty key roles. Akil, um, you know, we, we'll talk about how his performance was, but I think Indiana Vasilev, when he came on in the second half, which was the second half sub right at right at halftime, you can't say enough about what he did to turn that game around. Uh, the first half, it was a lot of domination by Colorado. They seemed to be able to carve up our midfield. They were they were finding lanes and finding holes through our back line. Uh, Roman Berkey's post-game comments kind of hit the nail on the head that our midfield wasn't doing a great job of defending. We weren't able to prevent Colorado from moving the ball. We were, we were kind of focused on the, what the attack or trying to create attacking opportunities and leaving our back line out to dry. But at halftime, it really kind of turned around when Indy came into the game. It, it started off with a, a chance by Jared Stroud um, that Indiana Vasilev started 
where he had an opportunity in uh, after Klaus won a duel in midfield there just a few minutes after halftime. Vasilev ended up sprinting to midfield, poked it through in a diving diving opportunity, getting it to Nico Joachini, and he kind of found Rasmus Alm on the on the wide right. Alm had a shot, was blocked, and then the rebound cross was over to Jared Stroud, and that was the biggest opportunity, the highest XG moment for St. Louis. Stroud at near point blank had an almost open net, and he shot it, he whiffed it high. That that was the one of the defining moments of the game early. Yeah, yeah. At that point, I was like, oh, my God, I hope that doesn't come back and haunt us later but right away see the score but uh just thinking about that miss like we haven't seen any of those uh so far but those things happen uh sometimes uh and yeah like it's easy to say afterwards oh he should have he should have gone uh, with the left foot but uh it's just a in fraction of seconds and it just happens that it didn't go in but but uh yeah city started the second half um, different mindset, definitely uh, having Indiana Basilev change things. Uh, Colorado didn't do much on the attacking side until the 65th, 70th minute, and everything seemed under control. Um, but uh, then they made four substitutions, and um, that kind of changed things too. Luckily, by the time they made those substitutions, though, St. Louis had the lead because right after that opportunity from Stroud, just a few minutes later, Rasmus Alma actually found net again after Indiana Vasilev played a ball from central midfield, got the ball wide to Jared Stroud on the left. And in transition, this was one of the transition goals that it was picturesque to to an extent where Stroud received the ball and in front of two defenders Alm was able to find space on the right hand side and and just nailed a goal home in that transition which was in the 57th minute noteworthy because up until that point it was Indiana Vasilev as the only sub about four minutes later after Alm found the net found net um, Tomas Ostrak and Celio Pompeu entered the game and in that 61st minute that's kind of where everything changed. Um, I, and I don't know how much of it was by design because when uh, Jean Klaus goes down with that quad injury, you can't really say that he was intended to go out at that moment. I felt like that was where things started to shift back into the Rapids' favor. And you can't help but say Klaus, if he had stayed in the game, you don't know what might have gone different, but you just think that something was probably – Something probably changed, and it was unexpected. It was almost a curveball that St. Louis had to deal with in the 61st minute because just nine minutes later, what you alluded to, the Rapids made four 70-minute subs. They changed their look entirely. They brought on Jonathan Lewis, Michael Barrios, Darren Yapi, and Anthony Markanovich. Just a few minutes later, they brought on their fifth sub, 77 minutes. They brought on Ralph Priso and Balge. That was an entire, entire line change for the Rapids. So... I saw a lot of a lot of playing on their heels and having to shift up what their line looked like as St. Louis made subs of their own, but really needed to chase what the Rapids full on uh, full on adjustments were there. What did you think of the Rapids doing that wholesale change there in a matter of just seven minutes? Well, um, Luis and Barrios, um, they were so quick on on the wings, both left and right. And um, really, after they came, um, made a difference. Colorado started to look for both of them. Uh, first half, Colorado used 
a lot of long balls and I they kind of went back to that to to find uh Luis and Barrios also had some moments in transition um but um after they came in you started to see Luis on the left creating chances and then uh Barrios also uh, on his duels with Selmir Pedro, who came later, uh, he was also very successful. So both of them made a huge difference when they came in. And even uh, even Priso, when he came in, uh, he participated on, on the goal too. So, so yeah, Colorado uh, really changed the game with their substitutions. And you could kind of see the, you, you see it reflected in when the subs were made because with their four out of five subs made at the 70 minute mark, uh, just a few minutes after the Alm goal, after Ostrock and Pompeu came in, then you had Carnell trying to to chase for for lack of a better term, and and his quotes post game I think are illuminating, and I want to say them real quick just before uh, before we get through where he just felt like, and then you once again we go just into the small moments of fatigue, and you know we have to get caught mm. chasing substitutions and making sure that we try and survive at the end of the day. And I felt his subs were reflective of that chasing substitutions where Colorado, they made their change. They, they pivoted hard and they went after it. And so in 78 minutes, we brought on Selmer Pedro and Miggy Perez for Johnny Nelson and Rasmus Alm. And then from there, it seemed like we shifted pretty hard. So you have Pompeo in the game, you have Pedro in the game, you have Hebert, you have uh, Parker and you have Nerwinski. And, and what Carnell kind of alluded to is, is dropping back into that five-man back line, so to speak, where we're absorbing pressure. We're trying to – we're up 1-0 at this point. We're not parking the bus necessarily, but you've gone the entire game without having significant success in the attack with your 4-4-2. And so it's not necessarily a case of the three, man, three center backs or a five-man back line weren't producing during the game. It was – this was the tactical adjustment – at the end of the game to go to this and try to prevent Colorado from sending those long balls, like you said, or trying to create space on the back line. So what did you think of that shift as, as they tried to chase these substitutions? Yeah, obviously he, he adjusted to what Colorado was doing and um, Celio up to that Celio was, was doing good things uh, on the left side playing, as a left winger, but um, then um, he went on defensive duty as part of that line of five. But uh, Colorado kept finding a space um, and um, just didn't work out uh, for St. Louis. It was interesting, to me it was interesting to see that line of five again, because earlier in the week uh, I had a chance to talk to Carnell and basically he, even though when the team lost to Seattle, both um, Berkey and Nelson kind of alluded, yeah, it's a new formation. We need to work more on it. Like Carnell basically mentioned, we have used it, like we used it against Portland towards the end okay. of the game. Uh, so it's not really new. It was uh, the starting lineup for the game against Seattle, but we like to have that in the toolbox. And uh, yeah. it was good to see that again, but um, just uh, Colorado just kept, going at it uh, with Lewis and with Barrios and um, it just ended up not working for, for St. Louis. And I wonder what aspect of it, 
necessarily didn't work? Is it the formation itself, which did where it was successful for a period of time in preventing the goal? Because when when from from when Perez and Pedro came on, it was 14 minutes until they scored a goal. So that that line kept it until stoppage. And there were eight minutes of stoppage. The goal was scored at two minutes. So I wouldn't necessarily blame the eight minutes of stoppage at all. You know, you had the class injury. no. But I, I do I do think it was successful to an extent. And the more you run a certain formation, the more familiarity you get in it, the concept of the formation wasn't the story to me so much as it was the personnel who played in that formation. Yeah, and, and when, when I yeah, say it didn't work, is well, at, at the end, Colorado right. scored. So, right. Yeah. So, no matter how you look at it, right? If it's yeah. personnel or if it's for, something didn't work. I yeah. took note of the way the goal was scored because it was scored on our left-hand side. So it was Michael Barrios after and I after the Rapids had a short passing sequence in the attacking third on their right, our left-hand side. There was a pass to Diego Rubio, and it was right in front of Kyle Hebert and Selmer Pedro. So they were playing. Pedro was more of the left wing back. Kyle Hebert was that uh, left center back in the three-man back line, so to speak. And the way that both players were marking their their guys so it was it was rubio i think was being marked by hebert at the time barrios was being marked by pedro or, or vice versa one or the other they each had a guy when when rubio received the pass both pedro and hebert collapsed on him and barrios essentially broke free right underneath of him and after rubio received the ball he drew both defenders onto him he was able to find barrios broke free and it was it just the story's written after that. I mean, there's nothing that Berkey could have done to prevent that as long as Barrios was on target, which he was. So I I take it back to, it it very well could be the formation because it's not the first time this has failed us, so to speak, but it worked for about 14 minutes. And I think Colorado just wore it down and, and it's Selmer Pedro's second appearance of the year as a sub getting on both recently. So he's been getting some more minutes here and there whether it was a miscommunication, whether it was uh, just a not knowing whose who's man was whose in that given moment in that space, could be that lack of familiarity with Hebert and Pedro playing yeah. with each other in game minutes. It just seemed like there that was unfortunate because I think the opportunity was there for our backline to be successful. And mm-hmm. you can't discount what Berkey had alluded to, and I said a bit ago about the ball was worked quickly through our midfield, and so you had a lot of pressure uh, very quickly on our back line, even with five men back line at that moment, that they had to absorb, and they didn't absorb it well. It was a, a slow transition, but it was still um, they were they were moving moving themselves up the field. They hadn't taken possession in our attacking third. Um, and I think Pedro, to an extent, is getting a little, in my opinion, undue flack. I think there's some, definitely some negatives into his performance in that that specific scenario. But the five-man back line, I think, gave him some more flexibility than a four-man would have. Um, because he likes to attack. He likes to press. Pedro is one of those players who's he's putting himself out there. He, we saw it with City 2 last year. He likes to be up the field. The five-man back line gave him a little gave pressure off of him i thought and so he he seemed to fit it well up until that point that and they whether you call it wearing us down or the the communication between him and hebert um it was unfortunate that it happened in stoppage because it really seemed like we were about to hold hold the line yeah. despite the fact that they had colorado had overwhelmingly uh controlled the game up until that point 
Yeah, but yeah, I think it's what you're saying, miscommunication or the lack of familiarity with each other because to me it looked like both of them were going for Rubio and obviously Rubio yeah. made that quick play and and uh, that left uh, Barrios open. But I was really impressed with Colorado on how patient they were when when they created that play. Like they, I ca- I was watching the game yesterday and they. I counted nine touches at midfield from side to side. Yes. And then they started like going forward. But uh, back to what, what you mentioned about Berkey's comments, um, like during that play, like Rosenberry had a space, uh, Priso had a space. So I, I can see why uh, Berkey was so frustrated and, and made those comments during the press conference. Yeah, and for those who didn't hear it, uh, post-game, it was Carnell, Berkey, and Stroud who were made available. The comments that Berkey made included, quote, we try our best. In the back four, you know, we tried our best. We tried to defend and everything. I think it was a little, it was like a little bit some guys on the field were just like, oh, the back line is going to take care of it anyways, you know, so a little bit like just not enough. I know we're going to have one point, but for me, it feels like a loss. And then he went on to say, but I think if you're up 1-0 and you see that we're struggling in behind, you know, the back line and me, we tried to defend everything. And we had to defend everything because there was most of the guys, in my opinion, they were just looking for when we won the ball to go up front and not come back and not go into the duels, not giving 100%. I mean, that's basically something that should be in our principles, but we will definitely learn about that. And I think we will talk about this as well. Strong words from our captain. Yeah, but but that's what... That's what you want your captain to do, to, uh, mm-hmm. to speak up. And that's, that's part of being a leader. Um, whenever he sees something wrong, he has to talk about it. But, but yeah, when, when you compare his remarks to Carnell's remarks, uh, you're like, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, he's definitely frustrated. Um, but yeah, I'm sure they, they address that um, after the game or um, maybe today when, when they look at video. Well, but it's, not also, it's also not the first time Berkey's mention that kind of a thing and i love how you put that where you're you can juxtapose carnell's comments about um looking at the positives and trying to reinforce his team overall as as what a head coach does and then berkey he's boots on the ground he's one of the guys he he it's his job as captain to call out people when they need called out to identify and in some aspects yeah put people on blast when there needs to be something really changed or a dynamic that's not working if he sees people not doing uh not buying into what the system needs them to do at that moment something needs course corrected and in the way that these games are flowing there's no time like this has to things have to change now to an extent he did that if you remember after the seattle game before fc cincinnati after seattle he made some post-game comments about what they need to do to get back into the the winning ways after two straight losses he called out some pretty basic things about players going out to dinner, just really focusing, getting back to to like what made them best and, and centering themselves around what they need to do and shutting everything else out, so to speak. And so to hear them to hear him get back to those kinds of comments tells me that the moments and they're few and far between so far when city's been down this year, but in the moments that they are and when something goes wrong and you know that they're not, the end result isn't what it should have been. If they're getting back to their principles, he'll, he'll address it. And that's something that I think is exciting for us as fans to see our captain being willing to do. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that's part of um, being a leader for the team. So I like that. 
And on the field, it got him a team of the match day. He had 12 saves. He faced a 2.78 expected goals against. He allowed that one goal, and he made the team of the match day today. And Carnell had nothing but positive things to say about Berkey. He had said, um, you know, he came up trumps. And and when when he was really strong, he thought it was a great second half. Berkey just got nothing but praise from Carnell, from Stroud. Stroud's comments I thought really hit hit home because it was from that player perspective where he's saying that they felt bad at the end of the day. Uh, they didn't they didn't do what uh, they, they didn't give Berkey what he deserved. Um, we feel bad for Roman. Stroud said he's he's good every game, right? It's not just his saves and wins. He's doing everything he can. He deserves a shutout. Uh, the rest of the team we let him down. We're upset about that. And he deserved it. So you're hearing from the players that other perspective, similar to Berkey, where they know they they know they didn't do their all. Um, and so that just speaks to Berkey's game, which was game of the year, I think. I, I, that's easy to say. Third, he had 12 saves. The MLS record for saves in a game is 15. And he had the most saves of any keeper so far this year. It was just a tremendous match by Berkey. Yeah, what a performance by Berkey. And uh, I, I like when he performs that way. Obviously, you don't want your keeper to have to save uh, 12 shots, but at the same time, it speaks of how important he is for the team. And um, before the season, like there was a lot of criticism from national media about St. Louis maybe overpaying in terms of salary. Obviously, it was a free transfer, but... Uh, paying a high salary for a goalkeeper and even using examples of other goalkeepers that have come as DPs or uh, really high paid and haven't worked out. But he is proving that he's worth every dollar that he's getting paid. And not only his performance on the field, but he's also a leader. And I think he's going to be important for the development of uh, goalkeepers within the system. Absolutely. That that can't be discounted. And I do love the fact that you're seeing um, as he's getting into form, because Carnell has made comments about after he came in last year, we always talk about a positive as, as positives coming in last year, getting the time to acclimate and experience. But from a goalkeeping perspective, it was interesting. I saw a comment that Carnell made alluding to uh, this is when he was touting Alex Langer, the, the director of goalkeeping, that Berkey faced a certain quality of competition last year with City 2 and Next Pro needing to really ramp it up this year so that he wouldn't skip a beat, get back to his Dortmund ways when he was starting for them. And so that's been a process for Berkey. And to see him lately, it, you know, the clean sheets came eventually. You're seeing some pretty remarkable uh, shot stoppages in each game. There's a, a stat that's his two highest save games have been in the altitude. He had eight shots stopped against Ralph Salt Lake and 12 against Colorado. So he's, he's coming up big when the expectation is that we're, we're going to suffer because of X, Y, or Z. And to see him being in that stride definitely justifies what you're paying him because it fits the need of the system and the team and his it, we haven't even talked about his style the way that he he moves himself out of the box he he attacks when he needs to he distributes he play makes with the ball he's that he's he's a, essentially another defender back there in a lot of instances so you know we we've talked ad nauseum about him but i think this game more than any deserves to focus on what roman burkey brought yeah yeah great performance overall and uh another positive from this game um two games in the altitude four points no losses so um i will i will take that any day you know 
Absolutely. And Colorado has this fun thing at, at halftime where they, they play a video and it is quite on the nose targeting altitude and saying how the teams are going to suffer coming into the altitude in the second half and they're, they're going to run themselves ragged. And Carnell did allude to that a little bit where he mentioned t- in today's press conference how um, they they run themselves out so much. like they I forget the number he said, but it was uh, they, they sprinted more in this match than they have in any other any previous match. And to do that in altitude and the way the subs worked, you know, you can see it all playing together in how the tactics had to adjust for altitude because despite going into it saying, oh, they're going to get in, go in and get out, like it's still a factor no matter how you look at it. And we saw that a little bit. But I think uh, that's probably about all we can or want to say really about the Rapids. You know, they it was, it was their overall match. They had uh, a lot more shots, 21 to 9. They had more shots on goal, 13 to 4. They just they they dominated in the aspects they needed to, and we at the end of the day came away with a tie. And the one thing I want to say on the tie is match week nine for MLS. There were only four teams total, three on Saturday that came away with any type of result. DC United and uh, I believe it was Atlanta. Atlanta was playing away on Sunday, weren't they? Mm, I don't I'm not sure anyway on Saturday Saturday night anyway we looked at it and they had one team won on the road it was DC United and two teams tied St. Louis being one of them every other away team lost so as we as we think big picture on this not just the nuts and bolts of the of the way the game flow was and the tactics on the ground but MLS is a difficult league for an away team to win. It's a difficult team for an away team to get a point. That's why in all the conversations when you're talking about the whether it's the gambling and the betting lines or you're talking about a point away is good, it's because teams are it's it's the most difficult league it almost globally to win on the road. The the parity is one thing to tout, but home field advantage in MLS is real, more so than just about any major league in the world top 10 top 15 it's it's incredibly difficult and travel has to to play into that you know the the distances covered and and the different climates so it's it should be noted that i i think we should be happy with a point regardless of how the game flow was you get into that point came because we conceded in stoppage and yeah that's disappointing but end of the day yeah and just think about what the team has done playing away Five games, three wins, one loss, one tie. Yeah. Ten points out of fifteen. That's great. I do I do wonder if sometimes that gives uh St. Louis City fans a little bit of a um an impression that it's easier to win on the road because we've been so adept at it. But possibly. Possibly. And but oh. yeah, and if you if you look at People uh, on social media, like uh, you see people saying, Oh, we didn't deserve a point, but hey, a point is a point. At yep. the end of the day, uh if you score and you avoid goals, you get a result. And St. Louis almost got away with, with coming home with three points. Would have been tremendous. But at, at the end of the week, when all is said and done, for Colorado, they actually fell to 12th place in the West. Uh, Austin jumped them, I believe they were. Uh, but Colorado does continue their unbeaten streak now at five games at home. They have a 1-3-5 and five record with five ties. They're 0-1-3 at home with only one loss at home. St. Louis, we didn't lose a whole lot. We're now third in the Supporter Shield rankings, but we're still first in the West. Uh, with goal differential, uh, we've moved to 6-2-1, and one, our first draw of the year. 
and we still have uh, that same goal differential as we did last week. We're still at 11. It's still the best in the West right now going into Portland at home next week. Anything else you want to comment about the Rapids game before we move on? Um, the last thing, very quick, uh, Rasmus Alm, again, uh, mm. great game. So it's great to see that now it's consistent that he's performing and he may, uh, he may come in handy um, now that Klaus will be out for a couple of weeks. Uh, if this Adeniran thing uh, ends up happening, uh, yep. Klaus may, I think, I, I don't know if he was on our DMs or somewhere else, um, he has some experience playing uh, as a number nine. Yep, Manuel Veth called that out. I saw that where you have options now, and it's good to have some of these other players coming into form. Rasmus Alm, chief among them. And, and I made a comment that I felt like he could be one of the best right midfielders in the entire league, and they're just now becoming aware of it. Yeah, so it's great to see him performing. But uh, let's move to uh, Open Cup with Union Omaha. Yeah, so as as we usually do on our shows on later in the week, we're going to get into a little bit of a preview now. So we have the U.S. Open Cup third round happening on Tuesday, April 25th. And that's one of the benefits of this show, honestly. Uh, we were able to kind of handle a little more of the issues as they happen. So for those who don't know, the U.S. Open Cup, now known officially as the Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup, it's a tournament that happens in the middle of the MLS season, though I think that notion in and of itself is a little backwards because the U.S. Open Cup predates MLS by, oh, uh, quick math, 93 years or so. The, uh, the U.S. Open Cup is the oldest ongoing national soccer competition in America. It was first held during the 1913-1914 season, then known as the National Challenge Cup, uh, with Brooklyn Field Club winning a trophy that was donated for promotion of American soccer. So it was a very much a grassroots, we want to get the, the United States as a nation to come together and have a soccer tournament like the FA Cup in England. Whereas a lot of that time, we've talked about the St. Louis Soccer League. There are leagues up in New England. There are a lot of local type leagues at that time. And so this was the first big national tournament and it has stayed consistent just about every year since then uh with wars and pandemics being the only outlier reason why it wasn't held uh but it was renamed and dedicated to lamar hunt in 1999 uh, for all of his work that he did to grow the league through the nasl major league soccer and the united states soccer federation in general so as of 1999 we play in the lamar hunt u.s open cup and for most expansion teams, Santi, it's a big deal to play in this. It's a second tournament throughout the year that teams have an opportunity to win another cup. But for St. Louis in particular, it has a little extra meaning. Do you want to talk through that a little bit? Yeah, so there is a lot of history, a lot of U.S. Open Cup history in St. Louis. Uh, teams from St. Louis have won it 10 times. And uh, also there is some recent history with St. Louis FC, who yeah. had a successful run in, in 2019, also played um, Sporting KC. Was that 2017 what year, or 2016, Matt? Do you remember? 2016, I think. 17 was Minnesota United, if I believe. Okay, so 2016 played against Sporting KC, and uh, a lot of St. Louis fans went to that game. And uh, obviously 2019, when 
St. Louis had that successful run, um, upsetting uh, Chicago, Cincinnati, and making it to the quarterfinals. So uh, there is also some good recent history. And uh, obviously St. Louis with all the soccer history with St. Louis University and with, with 10 U.S. Open Cups, uh, it's, um, it's great to be back uh, to Open Cup after not having a team since um i think we had somebody in the preliminary rounds in either 2020 or 20 not 2020 because he wasn't played but i think 2021 maritza was in the preliminary rounds but um this will be the first time since 2019 that a team will be um in the cup and uh, it will also be the first time that a St. Louis team won't be the underdog. Usually St. Louis, uh, we think yeah. that our second, third division is the underdog, but this time it will be the other way around. And a union Omaha that made a big run last year. So that's something to keep an eye on. Yeah, the history is so fascinating to me. And so to fact check myself on this one, St. Louis FC played Sporting Casey in 2015. They played uh, Minnesota United in 16, Chicago Fire in 17. Louisville City beat them in 18, and then 19 was the magic run of that we all remember. Of Chicago Fire, FC Cincinnati, and Sam Fink's amazing goal, the stoppage, to send us to the quarterfinals, I believe, in Atlanta. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But that St. Louis FC was carrying on the tradition set forth before them by teams like the Ben Millers, who were the first St. Louis-based team to win the tournament in 1920. Other teams, uh, 1926... Uh, had, I believe, let's see, 22, it was the St. Louis Skull and Steel, uh, St. Louis Sticks, Bear, and Fuller in 1933 and 43, St. Louis Central Breweries in 35, St. Louis Simpkins Ford in 48 and 50, 1950, magical year for St. Louis, St. Louis Kudis SC in 57 and 86, the Bush Seniors in 1988. So you're talking about club teams all over the place have stood the test of time. So it doesn't matter what the name is. It doesn't matter where they call home within St. Louis. These are St. Louis based teams that have made their mark in the U S open cup. And it's why the U S open cup in general is so much more meaningful in St. Louis than it might be for an inner Miami or a Nashville SC or FC Cincinnati, something like that, where these teams are, they're excited to participate for the first time and they might have some kind of history, but it's hard to argue that, the the history St. Louis has in the U.S. Open Cup can't be mirrored in one of the reasons why we call ourselves America's first soccer capital. This is a huge component in calling ourselves and having the the proof in the pudding, being able to back up a name like that on more than just a trademark. It's it's living it throughout the history of our city and. It's an exciting moment. City 2 did participate in the U.S. Open Cup last year. The one rule they really have is you have to be the top of your organization to to compete. And City 2 last year was the top of our organization, so they were allowed entrance. So was Rochester, New York from MLS Next Pro. This year, of course, uh, St. Louis City is the top of the organization. And you're you're right. It's it's a complete flipping of the script now where we have this history. We have the history of St. Louis FC and all of the, the passion and dedication, the sellout crowds that they brought to Soccer Park and the massive traveling fans that they brought to Atlanta. And this team is carrying on that tradition. We had a really good turnout traveling for City 2 last year to Louisville. And it sounds like we talked about it on last week's fallout. And I think it got a lot of attention last week 
in in positive and negative ways where it was i felt it was kind of a rallying cry where we were laying out our passion for the US Open Cup we were laying out why we want this to be more than just another game for city and and to be viewed as more than just a midweek secondary tournament type of a a game. And I I hope that message was, was well received. And I understand that tickets are selling a lot better now. Uh, I I definitely not saying that's why, but saying that as the, the last week leading up to it, it might be the, the knowledge is permeating through to the broader fan base of what this what this tournament really means and the opportunity that we have to represent and continue the history of everything that's come before city related to St. Louis. So I don't know. I am just excited that city now has the opportunity, whether they're the Goliath or the David uh, to be in this cup and to bring the games back to St. Louis again. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I apologize. I forgot about city Two playing it last year. Totally black. It was down one, on that one, so. one game against Louisville, and it went to uh, to stoppage. I remember Kyle Hebert's comment when he was interviewing last week. He said uh, he he's if he has one thing to advise the other players, it's don't go to stoppage. You don't want to play. Yeah. You don't want to play 120 yeah. minutes of a Tuesday match in between because he played last last year. Yeah. He played 90 the week before, night well 120 in Open Cup, and then 90 the week after. <laughs> I loved his advice. Don't do that. Yeah. Win it early. Yeah, but it's great. It's great to to see the cup coming to City Park. And as you said, ticket sales are going uh, better. Um, I think uh, we're going to be surprised by the attendance. Um, yes. Good weather, think, too. Yeah, good weather. So it may not be a sellout, but uh, I think it will be a good good crowd for third round of us open cup and even a game against a a third division team so so yeah that'll be good to see and i'm all about the the storylines the narratives i just think it would be so poetic to be able to tout the open cup coming back home to america's first soccer capital in the best state-of-the-art stadium in america and you you're selling it out you're touting twenty-two thousand five hundred have come out to see the u.s open cup third round I know if we move on, we're going to have an easier time selling this as we start to face MLS competition. But we're talking a USL League One competition. Most people don't know about them. Most people don't even know what USL League One is on the broader broader audience here. And so to be able to say, even if it's 20,000, to be able to say St. Louis St. Louis had 20,000 people come watch the third round of the U.S. Open Cup to play yeah. Omaha. That That's a narrative that's just, it's, it continues the story of St. Louis and our soccer history. Even if it is 15,000, but I think it's going to be more than that. 15,000 is also a, a really good number for yep. around US Open Cup. But let's talk uh, a little bit about Union Omaha. Um, obviously, they play in, in USL League One, which is, uh, this is going to sound confusing because now it's going to, people are, gonna, are probably going to be thinking, oh, so there is something in USL that maybe you can move up, but no, there is not. So USL League One, which is like the second tier for USL Championship. Yep. USL Championship is second division, and St. Louis FC played in that uh, championship um, from 2015 to 2020. So um, some of the fans are familiar with that competition. Um, St. Louis FC also hosted some... Uh, USL League One teams uh, during US Open Cup. Uh, the one I remember is uh, Forward Madison with 
there oh, yeah. were flamingos that came to uh, so soccer park Oh yeah, that that was a big one. Me very memorable for St. Louis FC. And St. Louis City isn't a stranger to Union Omaha either. We played them in the preseason, and our City 2 head coach is Bobby Murphy, who is an assistant coach for Union Omaha when they won their cup in USL League 1. So there's a lot of familiarity on both sides to this, which kind of adds to the narrative and adds to a little bit of the stakes of this, right? Yeah, yeah, but it's still... Um... Union Omaha this year, they have record of uh, one win, one loss, and two draws. They have um, they have scored, um, uh, I, I lost it here, but uh, they haven't scored more than two goals in a match this year. But uh, yep. their last game was a draw against Charlotte Independence. Yep. And Charlotte Independence is leading the league. Uh, so far obviously not a lot of games um so far but um that was a good result for for union omaha another thing that caught my attention is that they didn't play this weekend their last game right was uh on the 19th so they come with um fresh legs to uh, to play against st louis city who we're gonna see some rotation from them just because um st louis city played uh, on saturday yeah, that's a benefit that Omaha has for sure. If you look at the the league levels, it's almost balanced out by match fitness, uh, by by fixture congestion here. Is not played since April 19th. They're not going to play again until April 29th. So they have some time between these matches to help rest up, even if they don't have as deep of a squad as an MLS side in St. Louis City might. And with the, the two goals being the most they've scored in any one game, they scored uh, in their second round, they defeated El Paso Locomotive on April 5th, 2 to nothing. And so they're coming into this in the U.S. Open Cup perspective with a 2 nothing win uh, earlier this month against the USL Championship side. Yeah, that's a cup set. Yeah, it's a cup set, and they're looking to do the same against City, which they're no stranger to. Last year in the U.S. Open Cup, Union Omaha defeated both the Chicago Fire in the third round and Minnesota United in the fifth round, both MLS sides, as they were on their way to a quarterfinal loss to Sporting Kansas City 6 to nothing. So not having any um, issues beating MLS sides, you know, Chicago Fire, Minnesota United uh, was a very good team last year. Chicago Fire, you can, eh, you can argue they weren't, but <laughs> Minnesota United was. And so to see them take on both of those teams, they did what St. Louis FC did. They beat two MLS sides. They lost to a third one. This is a team who, and I mentioned they have, they've won the league before. They are used to winning. And so they're going to come in here rested. They're going to come in here hungry with a lot of fans. They have good traveling fans that will be here at city park uh, on the night of Tuesday, Tuesday night. And they're playing a St. Louis side. Like you said, that will be heavily rotated. We've, we've talked for weeks about will they, won't they, are they going to rotate? How are they going to approach this tactically? So let's spend the rest of our time kind of talking about those tactics. We found out this week. Well, let's, let's back up for a second. Going into the Rapids match, we knew, uh, and coming out of it especially, that Indiana Vasilev and Akil Watts were prescribed 45 minutes each against the Rapids. Watts started, Vasilev subbed. Those are the two that we knew would be available for the match against Union Omaha. Other than that, it's kind of who's going 90 this weekend that might not be available and who, are, who who's not seeing a whole lot of time that you may want to rotate in. The one big news 
of that just broke today really is the quad injury we mentioned Zhao Klaus had to sub out of the game against the Rapids for after an MRI yesterday on Sunday as we're recording this we found out that he will be out for 10 to 14 days so he'll miss likely three matches I don't think he was going to play against Union Omaha regardless right but I think he would have been big against the Timbers and in MLS going forward. And so he'll be out for at least probably two MLS matches. And the other big news that we found out today is that our eh, basically third tier striker, third uh, in the depth chart anyway, after uh, Klaus and Joachini, Sam Adeneron, who we had signed for about 100000 in GAM from the Charlotte, or I'm sorry, the Seattle Sounders organization. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he's actually going to be loaned out soon. So we found out from Bradley Carnell today that Adeneron was not at practice or not at training today. He was not available at the the last game. He is in the process of being loaned out. He couldn't really say much more than that. He said they'll respect the process, but Adeneron on his way out somewhere. Speculation is USL championship, but that means we'll probably talk about that a little more on flyover footy later this week, but in the immediate it means we might not have a striker to go into Tuesday's match because Nico Joachini played the full 90. What's your take on that? Yeah, I think uh, St. Louis is going to have to improvise at strike at the striker position. Position. I was actually uh, looking at my notes. I had a like a tentative starting eleven for tomorrow, and I had Sam Adeniran on it. Uh, I think everybody uh, did, right? Uh, as the, as the striker, yeah. And I, I had Adeniran slash Glover, and then today we found Glover may also not be available. Yeah. He's coming up, coming back from injury, has had some minutes with City too, but it didn't sound like he was going to be available tomorrow. So right. uh, Nico Giacchini played ninety minutes, so I think the team is going to have to do something different this game. And. And that's that's the big news. So I, I think you're probably reflective of a lot of the fan base where you see a guy like Klaus and you, oh, okay, we're going to rotate. He's not going to play. Joachini, okay, he might be the next man up, but then he went 90. Okay, so it's obviously going to be a Deneron, maybe even a Deneron and Glover if we stick with a two-striker formation because those are our two strikers that are left. But in addition to a Deneron being loaned out and Carnell respecting that process right now, he also said that Caden Glover is a hot topic amongst the staff. He's progressing nicely. Uh, but he said we can expect him out with us pretty soon, meaning out with City pretty soon. So it doesn't sound like he's going to be able to feature on Tuesday as he's still getting up to speed. He hasn't played a full 90 yet for City 2. Uh, it's possible he could be named to the bench. It's possible he could see minutes, but it, it really doesn't sound like it the way that Carnell's alluding to him. So with those two out... Our remaining roster, as we talk about the rotation, could look vastly different. Um, if you if you look at the players who didn't feature heavily against the Rapids, or they didn't even feature for the full ninety against Rapids two, uh, which Owen O'Malley is the big one who played the full ninety against Rapids two. Azil Jackson did not. He played, I believe, sixty minutes, sixty six, something like that. Third. 34 he, he came no, 34. in the, he came in the 66 minutes in the 66 so. minute okay yeah so yeah. with with those with the players who uh in city's match i can see you know guys like johnny nelson tim parker kyle hebert jake Nerwinski all rotating out because they played so many minutes and and they played a ton of time against the rapids you could be looking at that next 
almost overall the next depth in our back line of Selmer Pedro, Lucas Bartlett, Josh Yarrow, uh, John Bell might feature for the first time we might see him out there. And then that right back position is really interesting to me because we saw some things at training today and we saw, we saw kind of, we still saw a four man back line, but there's a conversation about Akeel Watts, who last year, Bradley Carnell and Lutz spoke openly about projecting him as, I think Hackworth did too. Hackworth did too, yeah. Yeah, projecting him as a right back in MLS. So to see Akeel Watts as Jake Nerwinski's backup, that's what I spoke to when we talked last week about depth at the striker position, depth at right back as our primary needs for the transfer market. To me, it's Akeel Watts at that right back position, even though... Indiana Vasilev and Akeel Watts were said to be kind of playing 45-45 so they could both feature in this game. Might not be as we thought where one would take the place of another. They might feature together. Yeah, yeah, I think they will be together tomorrow. Maybe so they won't that, go 90 minutes, but they yeah. will start, I think. So with that, as you move up, the question is in our central midfield, if Akeel Watts were to play right back, what does our central midfield look like? With the obvious answer starting being Indiana Vasilev and Miggy Perez... But that's not a whole lot of depth to back that up unless you start looking at a guy like Azeel Jackson. Right, right. Yeah, I see. Yeah, but Azeel Jackson also uh, to play a winger. So. Because at that point, if you, if you use a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-4-2, either way, you're looking at an additional four players that you need beyond who we just listed. Four attackers, no matter how it looks. If you're going to run a false nine out there with Tomas Ostrak or Azil Jackson, if you're going to run somebody like a Celio Pompeo or a Tomas Ostrak up top, you need four additional attackers somewhere. The easy answers to me are Isak Jensen, Tomas Ostrak, Celio Pompeu, somewhere up there. And mm-hmm. then... We like Azil Jackson seems like he would fit in, though you're going to see a lot of versatility, I think, in mixing and matching certain players. And are you going to see? I guess the question at, to me is how much are we going to see of our first team, first, uh, you know, first tier players, where you might see a starting of that heavily rotation? Are we going to see Nico Giochini, who went 90? Are we going to see Rasmus Alm, who subbed out? Uh, after 78 minutes are you going to see jared stroud who subbed out i think some of those some of those moves like especially jared stroud um you might see a little of him just because he subbed out early he he seems like he might fit the bill of a late sub uh rasmus alm if he's really in in a good fitness might might do that as well um but but aside from the wholesale change those subs are probably going to make a difference and uh I don't know. What are your thoughts on? I, I kind of gave away my projected uh, starting eleven. <laughs> yeah. So so here's what I what I had uh, until this morning, uh, but I'm gonna go with that. Uh, mm-hmm. I had Lund on goal. Oh uh, yeah, I Pete. totally totally skipped over him. Sorry. That that was confirmed today as well. So mm-hmm. you got that one right. <laughs> uh, Pedro. I was I. I was between Bartlett and Jaro, but it was confirmed that Jaro will be the captain. So, yep. uh, so Jaro, um, Bell. Then uh, for right fullback, I had a uh, initially I had O'Malley, but then uh, I found out yesterday that he played ninety minutes. So I think it will be a kill Watts. Then midfield, I have um, Indy and 
Miguel Perez as defensive midfield midfielders. Then I have uh, as part of that four two three one. I have a uh, um, Asil Jackson, Isaac Jensen, and Thomas Ostrak. But now my question mark is mm. at um, striker position because I had, as I said earlier, I had a Denier and a Slash Glover, but doesn't look like any of them will be available. So um, I'm not sure about that one. I'm not sure who will cover that one. You, you mentioned maybe Celio, um, maybe uh, Ostrak will be the false nine. So so yeah, I think the team will will have a totally different look up there for tomorrow. Yeah, the the most exciting thing for me is going to be the formation that they run out with because we've we've mentioned here and we'll get to our score prediction in a second as we wrap this up. But the the players I think are a little easier to now that we have some limitations. We know that a is not an option. It doesn't seem like Caden Glover is going to be an option. Indiana Vasilev and Akil Watts are both going to play in this game, so you start to be able to put some things together. I want to see if we're going to be in a four four two using maybe. Ostrock and Pompeu or Ostrock and Azil Jackson up top. Uh, are we going to run a 4-2-3-1 with a false nine where it's either Azil Jackson, Pompeu, Tomas Ostrock up there? Um, or are we going to just do a more traditional 4-4-2 where we're letting um, Isak Jensen stay wide right? We're letting maybe Salio stay wide mm-hmm. or, or Isak Jensen wide left. Um Salio stay wide right and then have Ostrock and Jackson kind of patrolling the midfield a little bit. There's a lot of different ways that you could run these players out. And I think that's going to be the most exciting thing for me. Um, if you had to pick one thing that you're looking forward to tomorrow, whether it's a, a player or formation or anything, and I'm putting you on the spot definitely because we didn't talk about this before. <laughs> you had to pick one thing, what would it be? My one thing will be uh, Celio Pompeo scoring a goal. That's my. Oh, I love it! I love it. I my I gave this answer to uh, Brendan Weesey earlier when I when he asked me and put me on the spot. And, <laughs> and my answer, so I had to do the same thing to you. My answer was Selmer Pedro. I and it's not just the bangers he was scoring in training today, which got to be confidence mm-hmm. boosting. I I want to see him succeed for. The club, I want to see him succeed for the community because this is the kind of player who, if he's if he's successful and he is uh, producing for the club, can ignite an entire fan base that yeah. exists in St. Louis. So it's it's that off the field as well, but just for him individually, he brings so much promise. He's so young. He still has a Bosnian national team to look forward to if he's in form. There's so much positivity that can come from Selmer Pedro being in form. And I think he'll have an opportunity to be a little more free as he gets an entire game's worth of minutes, which I, I fully believe he will in on Tuesday night. So if I had to pick one player, it's going to be, it's going to be Pedro. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good pick too. Uh, having a good game, I think will give him a lot of confidence, uh, okay. and, um, for future games, um, uh, like having more minutes, having more confidence that he had a successful game, I think that will help him a lot. All right, Santi, we got to get out of here. So what's your score prediction for Tuesday night? Okay, I'm going to go with CD 3 to nothing. 3 to nothing. Wow, all right. Good uh, clean sheet from Ben Lunt to open up his Open Cup book. All right, I like it. I will go with uh, three to one. 
I, I think they'll get one. I think I like the players that I think we're going to run on the field. I think they're going to be successful. Um, but I, I, I'm excited more than anything just to see the combination that we roll out. Any other yeah, last man. words for the Open Cup? Um, yeah, I was just going to say, uh, even depending on how the game goes, you may not even need to see uh, Stroud or Alm. Um, it may be just uh, the guys that start, and maybe towards the end you will make some substitutions. But um, hopefully the game goes um, see this way, and you don't need to worry about making, uh, like, bringing some of those guys at the 60th minute, 65 minute, and you just have to do it more towards the end if people are tired. So um, we'll see. But uh, Union Omaha had a great run last year, so just have to be mindful of that. And um, But I, I, I feel confident with the lineup, uh, even even though it includes some guys that haven't played much and have a lot of minutes. Um, these guys, and, and Bradley Carnell says it, like every time, these guys empty the tank every week. And uh, even though they are not getting minutes, uh, they are just uh, behind uh, the starters and making sure the starters perform too. So uh, it'll be a good game for City and for the guys who haven't had a lot of minutes. Yeah, and one last note. I view this more as an opportunity to see the up-and-comers of City as opposed to seeing the the second-depth chart players. Because if you look at the roster that we're likely to roll out, where Selmer Pedro, Tomas Ostrak, even Indiana Vasilev, Isak Jensen, who's still a teenager, you've got a lot of Ezeal Jackson. These are young, young guys. Mm -hmm. These are guys that they could be producing for St. Louis City for years to come. And yes, they might not have cracked the, the top spot in the depth chart yet. They may crack it later on this year. You may see a guy yeah. like Isak Jensen finish the year as City's primary left mid. You might see a guy like Selmer Pedro be, end the year as a primary left back. All, all these things could change throughout the year. This is our first opportunity to see a lot of the players who are going to be big contributors for City the rest of the year, and we haven't seen them yet. So this is the first of many, I think, chances. So exciting in that respect as well. Great, great. So uh, Open Cup tomorrow. Hopefully when we do... Um fly over footy on thursday we can report on a on a good result i hope so well if you're still around thanks for joining us hopefully you're up to speed on everything from the rapids and you're ready for the u.s open cup tuesday night you're probably listening to this on tuesday so uh for santiago beltran i'm matt baker thanks for listening and go city vamos